Hey everybody, it's Jack. I wanted to let you know that the script we talk about in this show involves eating disorders, specifically bulimia, and the screenwriter, Brooke Tranter, is really honest and emotional about her history with that. There are also some phone numbers that we give at the end of the show if you are looking for help. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to Brooke for being so open. Okay, on with the show. Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who, me or you? Mm-hmm, you say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. So top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Hi, everybody. I'm Jack. I'm incredibly inspirational. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I'm, I'm, I'm the thing that other people talk about in therapy. Mm. And welcome to Script Shop. I'm Allison. Mm-hmm. I do talk about Jack in therapy. Oh, I, you know, I didn't mean to put your stuff on Front Street like that. No, I don't mind. I talk about therapy a lot on this show. That's not true. a lot, but I talk about all of my life on this show, and therapy comes well, up as part of that. Listen, now, I'm not going to lie to you. On some level, I'm going, knowing that I am a somewhat regular topic character. yeah yes. character in your therapizing i'm gonna be aware of that and it's gonna affect the way i behave in the in, at least in the immediate future listen if you try too hard i'm gonna for <laughs> sure shoot a little arrow and blow it through your balloon and tell you to cut out the bullshit jack <laughs> that's very true hi everybody welcome to our podcast called script shop script shop where we <laughs> talk to screenwriters about the screenplays they've written why they wrote them, and why this one person is the only person in the whole existence of all of time and humanity who could have written the screenplay that we have on the show today. Speaking of dramatic. I know, I know. It's an important thing, though, what we talk about here on the show, and we're very, very, very lucky to have awesome screenwriters on the show opening up their hearts about screenplays that generally are very personal to them. That's what we try to find is someone who wrote something that means something to them and, and, and the connections that they've made with other folks once they have either written this thing or even maybe produced it and put it out into the world. Our uh, brilliant writer for this week is Brooke Tranter, who wrote a script called Yours Are Mine. Yours Are Mine is a nine-page full-circle eating disorder tale between master and mentee. Yes, mentor and mentee. Mentor. I like master. Do you? Yeah, but I could. I mean, I can revise it if we need to revise oh, well, it. It's fine. We'll, 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 you you made the decision. It's fine. I just I don't know. You said mentee. That's a version of mentor. I'm just on mentor. a high horse today about all kinds of dramatic things. Probably because we've been on a bit of a hiatus. Yes, we're back to producing shows. Not that any of you out there listening are, are aware of any sort of hiccup, because we are such dedicated professionals to this show that even through Allison's pregnancy and 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 birth giving of little baby Calvin, who's in the world now, uh, we did not. We have not missed a week of shows. Not yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> Knock on wood. And speaking of little baby Calvin, he is not yet four weeks old, and I'm currently wearing him in studio. Yeah. So if you hear any baby size hiccups, cooing, and eventually some crying, that's him, not Jack. <laughs> We're making the same joke two weeks in a row. It's still funny. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Well, <laughs> the listeners will decide that. <laughs> Uh, folks, uh, scriptshopshow.com. That is the website that covers it all. You can read the scripts that we have. You can listen to the shows that we have. And you can 
Do we have games on the site yet or a shop or anything like that? <laughs> no. Darn it. All right. Well, make up your own game. Tweet it at us so that we know what you're doing with our website. Frank, where's the shop part? Yeah, where's the shop in the games, Frank? Yeah, we need that on the show. Anywho, so scriptshopshow.com. That's also where you can submit work. <laughs> if you've written it yourself or you know someone who's a writer, scriptshopshow.com slash submit is how you can send your work into us to potentially be on the show. <laughs> That's right. I was just thinking about the script shop, the game show. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Jack. I'm going to go on way too much of a tangent for that. Wait, Brooke's already been waiting That's going to have enough. to be its own thing. And it, yeah, don't forget Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're online. We're online. We are capital <laughs> O online. And Patreon.com. Thank you to our patrons. Please support us. Um, send money into us and submit your screenplays because we just want to keep doing this forever. Now, we were introduced to Brooks' work yes. via Syndependent. the Syndependent Film Festival. That's what I thought. That's right. So, Syndependent Film Festival is Cincinnati's best film festival in the city. Because it's the one we do. It's, that's why. Uh, we run it. And uh, we got Brooks' her finished film, actually, uh, via filmfreeway.com. And then um, we're lucky enough to be able to book her to come on to the show. And today. speaking of booking her, I suppose we ought to just take advantage of the fact that we do actually have, have her, her on the online. line. <laughs> and we, we, the, the scheduling is a little bit off, so she's already been patient with us, and now she's even more patient with us as we've been farting around for the last four <laughs> minutes. So, uh, Brooke Tranter, welcome to Script Shop. Thanks for coming on. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure, Brooke. Thank you. Hey, Brooke, where are you calling us from today? Uh, Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Were you born I, and raised? I would raised? say sunny, but it's actually Ugh. cloudy today. Oh, <laughs> really? Well, this is yeah. like a one in a million day for us, talking to a, a Los Angelino. He's <laughs> like, mm, today sucks. We're, and we're actually, yeah, Cincinnati weather's kind of good today, in which we that, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a bit of a rarity, especially this time of year. So, I mean, sorry about your luck, Brooke. You know what? I think we just traded for the day, and that's totally fine. Well, you're very generous. Thank you. <laughs> if you want to trade lives, I'm fine with that right now. <laughs> I could use some sleep. We'll just trade for a few hours, and yeah. then you can go go back to your world. You guys can prince in the pauper. It'll be fun. <laughs> so now, are you a are you a lifetime Los Angelino, or are you a transplant, or what? A uh, transplant. I'm originally from um, a small rural town called Quincy, Illinois. It's about uh, four and a half hours south of Chicago. And I've been in Los Angeles now for about uh, eight years, eight and a half years. Okay, so yeah, so Midwest gal who uh, goes west to to work in film, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That that was kind of the trajectory. I went to school uh, for acting at Illinois Wesleyan University um, and then, uh, you know, uh, packed up the car and came right out. <laughs> um, were you doing performance work right when you moved into LA or did you start doing screenwriting and production etc when you moved out there immediately um my focus was always acting and what was what's so interesting about the industry right now I feel is that uh so many actors are finding a sense of confidence and voice within um the the written page and that's kind of what I was encouraged to do for years but I was quite stubborn about it actually and it took me a few years to start actually having the confidence in, in my writing and, and the willingness to tell my own story. So it took me a few years, but um, yeah, now, now it's become a much more regular uh, part of my journey, which I'm very grateful for. Mm-hmm. Kind of in a way where you were like, I'm an actor, I'm not writing, and you just stuck to that for a long time? Yeah, I think I thought that if I stuck myself in my own little box, that it would be very clear to others as to what I wanted. Like, no, I'm an actor. This is how you should see me. And um, I just think 
yeah, like I said, the industry has just changed so much, changed so much. And, and there's, I don't know, there's this, um, real push to not be put in a box anymore Mm -hmm. and, um, to creatively express in different ways. And, and I think it's part of that is just growing up and, and getting a lot more familiar with yourself and, you know, what sparks, what sparks your passion and what ignites, um, that form of storytelling. But a lot of that's, that's kind of been the trajectory for a lot of my friends that started in acting. We're all kind of writing and directing and producing things now, which is a, is a cool place to be in as creatives. No kidding. I bet it would be really rewarding to be able to have a circle of friends that you can all just kind of do this fun thing together with. Oh yeah. Incredibly. And just continuing to find people to add to that you know, group of creatives has just been such a joy. And I just love meeting, you know, it's just that constant cycle of, oh, meet my friend who does this sound or who wants to produce or Mm -hmm. meet this woman who's amazing at set design. Like, I just love meeting friends of friends. That's, it's my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it. It, it's interesting too. So, in the show that we put out last week, where we talked with uh, Carrie Patrick Martin, who's a, a New York-based writer and, and filmmaker, he sort of had a similar story where he went to New York. He was from Syracuse, and then went to the city with the intent of acting, and then from there started to develop writing, and then grew into. Uh, he ended up uh, directing and editing his own uh, short film uh, recently here as well. But the idea of how it's sort of in your own interest to diversify what you're capable of doing. Uh, was definitely something we talked about in last week's show. Yeah, I think so. And I think so much, um, you know, I don't, I hate to use the word control, but I think this industry can feel very um, one-sided where, you know, you, you work and you hustle and you do everything you can to make your dreams come true. But there just seems to be this disconnect of who has the actual power control to give you jobs. And I think that's an incredibly liberating thing is to be able to write roles that, you know, you can shine in or that your friends can shine in and really lift each other up through your writing and and the things that you're producing, as opposed to just like waiting for the phone to ring. I think that, 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 has passed. That's not, that's not really part of the process anymore. You can't just wait around, like make things and tell the stories right. you want to tell. Who wants to wait around anyway? You know, I, I, I can't, I can't, I'm addicted to the work. I'd go crazy. So, <laughs> well, and it's, it's, you know, to the, the, the stereotype of how, you know, everybody in LA has a screenplay that they're shopping around to people. But now instead of trying to corner some executive in, in a coat room or, or, or dump the script on their plate when they're at a restaurant, like, you know, you can just produce the thing now and then let it get to people, you know, cream rising to the top and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to show the work that you can do. Yeah. yeah, having a script is powerful, but if you can show your vision as well, I think I think that's even even more um, telling about what's what's in your mind. So, uh, when you started writing, what was it that you were really talking about first at that point? When I first started writing, I think it was interesting. Um, I mean, I've always kind of been a writer, and especially when I was um, a child and. I've talked to a lot of creatives about this of like when you're a kid, you have this, uh, this openness of expression and play that's so encouraged yeah. by adults and your surroundings. And I think something, something happens. I don't know if it's adolescence, but we, we tend to hide that. And, um, it's not necessarily shamed, but it's just a part of ourselves that we hide. And, um, I was really trying to find that spark of energy and play again. So, it's interesting to be faced with the blank page as an adult and like, what, what am I supposed to write? What do people want to hear? 
And um, I just started writing things that were very familiar to me, whether it was uh, relationships or uh, battles that I had gone through in my own life. I, I knew that the most uh, powerful thing I could do was to share those kinds of stories that I had already kind of gone through personally. And that's, that's what has informed a lot of my writing so far, at least certain elements of, of my own experiences, not always like, you know, an autobiography, but <laughs> yeah, well, and certainly um, yours, sorry, yours or mine is for sure. I, I feel like there's some, there's some very uh, personal elements uh, to that story, but even outside of that, you know, you read any sort of interview with anybody who's a, a creative type and a writer and half the, you know, anybody who's experienced any level of success, I, I feel like almost every time they're doing an interview and talking about, you know, this thing that they're known for, they always end up saying something along the lines of, Hey, you know, we were just trying to do something that we would enjoy and that, that we would, could relate to. It wasn't about doing things for a, a larger audience. Right. Yeah. I think that's how it kind of organically happens. And I think that's where the power in storytelling comes from is using those elements or um, things that have happened to us in life that sometimes, I mean, with this story in particular, yours or mine, uh, more of a, a painful time of life and not really understanding, like, why am I going through this? Why am I going through this pain? What? Why me? Why, you know? And I think sometimes in retrospect, we can we can appreciate um, some of the hurdles and mountains we've climbed in life and and hopefully that that can help someone else's journey through a similar circumstance. So where does yours are mine fit into your sort of writing history since you started you know picking up a pen or typing on a computer screen? Um, let's see. Yours are mine is. Um, oh my goodness, I don't have a timeline in front of me, but I think it's, it was my fifth or sixth short film that I had written and produced and, um, uh, started writing it at the beginning of 2018, I believe, actually probably end of 2017. And it was the first, uh, project that I was solely going to write, produce, star in, and then direct myself. And wow. I didn't originally <laughs> intend on doing that. I was writing it and I was uh, getting, you know, advice and, and structure, um, you know, another pair of eyes to look at structure and story with me. Uh, my dear friend Kelly Walker, who's a an award-winning filmmaker, incredible, incredible woman. And, you know, I was going to ask her to direct it. And she, <laughs> she was adamant. She said, you have to direct this. You, you can, and you will, and you'll regret it if you don't, because this is your story to tell. So this was, this was the first, yeah, this was the first project where I was kind of wearing all the hats. Um, and it was, it was the most personal script I had written as well. So it was quite an undertaking, um, to be completely honest. Um, uh, what did you yeah. think about working all of those roles at the same time for this project? What did I think about it? Um, like <laughs> did you have time to think? It, yeah. Right. I, you know, I, I'll be completely honest. I had, uh, I already, uh, you know, suffer from depression and anxiety and months leading up to that shoot. It just, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. I was having, I was having nightmares. I was not sleeping. And I think what it all comes down to, and you know, thank God I was working with my therapist <laughs> at the time, but I think what it was is, was because I was, um, through the material, I was, I was facing demons that I had since put in the past. Mm -hmm. Right. And not only was I going to be working with them, um, through the words that I had written and directing it, but I was going to be stepping into, 
a part of myself that I had since said goodbye to. And that was very, uh, you know, a very painful part of my life. So I really had to get in a very good headspace of like distinguishing the role of Evan versus Brooke as a person. Mm -hmm. And it just, it was, yeah, just to be frank, it was, it was incredibly hard. And I had to reach out to friends and family and, um, people that knew what I was undertaking to really, you know, form a support system. And obviously it went very well and it, the, the team that I had that day was incredibly uplifting, an entire female cast and crew, um, which I had only dreamt about. And they were just amazing and so dedicated to supporting me um, and supporting the story and really telling it to the best of their abilities. And yeah, I guess all that anxiety led up to the day of, I, I'm just so grateful it led up to what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Brooke, I can hear yeah. how exhausting and uh man gosh just like very hard that this whole process was because of your your history and your past with this Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know if there was any new level of healing that came out of it that Mm -hmm. maybe even though it was challenging and painful to work with it again and to to open these scars up again if on the other side of it approaching it in this way did it give you any insights into things you had gone through before or did you come out on the other side of it having new revelations about who you are and, and how you define yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I, I think I learned a lot through the whole experience and it was interesting how it kind of mirrored my life. But looking back at everything that I had gone through and then being there the day of, I think it was, you know, and I'm a, I'm a modest person. I'm not saying this to boast. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this as a person that's healed, but I was reminded of my strength mm-hmm. and that I could, I got through what I went through, um, earlier in life and that I was able to use that same strength that I battled that with to then tell this story mm-hmm. So it was the same kind of strength that was like, it was, it was hard to get through, um, you know, those chapters of my eating disorders and what I went through. And then it was hard to direct this and act it and produce it and write it and, Mm -hmm. and also make sure everyone else is happy and having a good time and feels that they can voice their, their, um, desires on set. You know, that's how I am on set. I want people to have a voice, um, and be able to speak up if they see something that that's just how I operate. I want it to be collaborative always. And, um, yeah, I think I was just reminded of the strength and, you know, um, the, the lineage I come from, I come from strong women that (laughs) get shit done. And, um, and that's what I was doing. And it was a good reminder. And um, I had a great sense of gratitude of, of where I've come from and where I intend to go. Speaking of your lineage, what does your family think when they see such a personal story of yours like this? Yeah, um, it was not all of my family has seen it yet, just because we're now um, coming to an end of the festival circuit. It's been it's been long, but incredibly rewarding. Um but my parents in particular, um, it was, it was hard. It was, I'm getting emotional actually when you just asked that, mm-hmm. um, it was hard to sit down with them because of everything that they had gone through. Um, 
in the past of getting me help and making sure that I was taken care of and healed and found a sense of self-love again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember putting, putting it on the television and I was shaking yeah. because again, it was just, it was going back to a part that of life that was so painful for all of us, but they were, you know, incredibly proud. And they, they both said they wanted to see more. Mm-hmm. I was kind of shocked by that. Wow. I think they, mm-hmm. they loved that relationship that I had created between Allie and Evan. And they were the ones that have actually um, convinced me or, or encouraged me to uh, shop it into a feature and kind of expand wow. on that. <laughs> so that was actually, I wasn't even intending on doing that. So That was actually one of the last things I wrote down in the notes that I was taking was, would you want to tell this story beyond what you already have? Yeah, I think, I think I have to, I think I need to. And, and I, I heard that from many people when we were on the festival circuit, they want to see more, they want to understand more. And I think, I think going back and, you know, in the film right now, you just see flashbacks of Evan's struggle. I think it would be really informative and important to, to see more of that in more detail and what that looks like and, and how that is brought into Allie's world and how Allie I, how we hope that Ali is healed in the future. I think I have to. <laughs> you just made me think of an interesting thought in the idea of expanding this out. I think as the as the person who's creating or adding on to this world, you get to decide also then whose story this is. I think in the short for right now, it's Evan's story. But oh, okay. But I mean, I think if you're going to expand this out, and you know, depending on how you want to feature Evans' uh, stuff, whether or not it's a flashback or whatever, you can kind of decide if you want the longer version into a feature or whatever to be. Do you want it to be more of Ali's story, or do you want it to be more of Evans' story? Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree, and I think I think that's what has to be determined. I mean, the intent of the short was to walk away not with a story that was tied up in a beautiful ribbon and look at this happy ending, you know, it's not, it doesn't end in really (laughs) a tied up idea, but we do want to feel a sense of hope, right? That just by sitting there with her, that Allie had, or that Allie has someone to walk through with, you know, walk through this experience with hopefully. So I would like to uh, expand and extrapolate that, that relationship, I think. And what does it look like? You know, what does it look like when Evan went through recovery versus Allie? And, and I think that was the whole intent of the relationship. Is there a way that, that Evan can show Allie maybe just like a little less painful of experience through this, just by having a hand to hold that understands. Right. Well, you know, um, we talk about the hopefulness at the end of this story, but what we're going to read today actually is a big, revelatory moment and a painful moment for Allie. And so, um, Jack, you want to, should we jump into our scene read? Yeah, for sure. So this is, we're going to be reading sort of the confrontation moment here when, when, when everything comes to light. So Evan gets hired to be, uh, an in-house tutor for this girl, Allie, who's a, presumably a high school student, teenager. Um, and the relationship has been going good so far. It's fairly early on into their time, but even as the, the script starts, uh, Evan's on the phone with her mom, sort of expressing how this is kind of new for me. I'm not used to dealing with teenagers. I'm used to like younger kids. 
kids, so I hope I do well. And mom says, you're going to do fine. And so she sort of struck up this relationship with Allie, and it's going really well. And so the scene we're about to do is when mom has had to kind of rush out to go to a meeting. So she says, hey, come on in. Uh, Allie's just upstairs. She's been having kind of a bad day. and uh, But you go ahead, guys, and start working on the, the, the term paper that, that Allie has to do at the, end of, at the end of the week or whatever. And that's where Evan... Learns something that Allie didn't want her to be aware of, I, I suppose. Is, is that a fair setup, Brooke? Absolutely. That was perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Sure. Thank you. All right, listeners, if you're following along, we're going to be starting near the top of screenplay screen page three. Jack's going to be doing our action headings. I'm going to be reading for the character Allie, and uh, Brooke is going to be playing Evan for her, and Calvin is going to settle down a little He's going to give us some crowd reaction. It's fine. <laughs> Let's see if I can get him to... Just little guy. He's trying to fall back asleep. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Jack, whenever you're ready, you can take it away. Interior, Miller family home, Allie's room. Moments later, Evan looks around Allie's room and there is no sign of her, but she hears someone in the bathroom. She walks over to the bathroom to find interior Allie's room bathroom. Allie is crouched over the toilet, fist in her mouth, making herself vomit. Evan's world becomes silent. She tries to say something, but cannot speak. She slowly backs away from the bathroom and goes downstairs. Every part of her body is shaking. Her feet wander, lost, down each step of the staircase. Her eyes are glazing over as her mind becomes lost in the past. Montage of flashbacks at various locations, Evan binging and making herself vomit. Evan struggling with the torture of her disease. She looks at herself in the mirror, exhausted, lost, and disgusted. Evan binging and making herself vomit over and over and over. Evan lays in bed, exhausted. She's consumed by her eating disorder. Interior, Miller family home, kitchen, dining area, present day, moments later. Allie sits at the kitchen table. She takes a deep breath and slowly exhales. Hey. Hey, Allie. Aw, thanks for getting out snacks. You didn't have to do that. No problem. Evan picks up her chocolate and takes a bite. Allie follows but sets her chocolate to the side. Yes, I've been looking forward to this all They both chuckle. (laughs) Can we start the essay? I finished the outline. Yep. Allie takes books out of her bag. How was your day? Um, It was okay. Yeah? Nothing you want to talk about? What do you mean? Your mom uh, just mentioned you may have had a bad day. (laughs) Yeah, well, it wasn't. She always assumes something is wrong with me. Okay. There's nothing else you want to talk about? What? No. Why? Allie, I... What's wrong? Uh, nothing. I just... Are you okay? Yeah. Allie, I know what you're doing. What? I walked in on you. (laughs) What do you mean? In the bathroom. Oh, I wasn't feeling well. It's probably the flu or something. I saw what you were doing. (laughs) It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Look, everyone is doing it. Allie, that is not true. Yes, it is. At my school, everyone is doing it. It's totally normal. Allie? What were you doing up in my room anyway? I was looking for you so we could start homework. So you're like spying on me now? No, Allie. I came up to get you. You can't just parade around here like you own the place. This isn't your house. I know that. I'm sorry. Allie, I just... I want to help. Please. <laughs> she wants to help. Help. <laughs> How cute. Please, Allie, I'm serious. Please, let's just talk about it. I don't it. want to talk about it. 
Why the hell would I want to talk to you about it? Listen, I've been through this. I understand. Oh, oh, great. Yeah, you know all about it, don't you? And now you're going to tell my mom, even though she thinks I stopped, and you're going to fuck everything up, aren't you? Allie, stop. I care about you. I'm not trying to do anything to hurt you. I'm trying to help. Fuck this. You have to go. I'm not going anywhere, Allie. Yes, you have to. Get the fuck out, Evan. Leave. Evan is losing control and fast. I cannot do that. I'm staying right here. Allie is now off the handles. Get the fuck out, Evan. Go! Allie begins to become physically violent, pushing and screaming to escort Evan to leave the house. Go! Go! For fuck's sake, leave! Allie opens the door. Evan doesn't know what to do. Allie pushes Evan out of the house and slams the door closed. Evan feels lost and completely numb and turns and walks to her car. End scene. End scene. But that's not exactly where it ends, right, Brooke? No, not. So this is so Evan has been forced out of the house now. She was completely blindsided. The, the, totally. The reaction could not have gone any worse. Right? This is like worst case scenario. She has here. this great relationship with Allie yeah. all and of she, a sudden and the whole thing turns. And she chose to do the right thing in the moment and, 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 and it goes completely south. So as she's walking to her car and we're, we're getting some more flashbacks of Evan reliving all this stuff that she, you know, dealt with and potentially put behind her and was moving on with. And there's an interesting line you have in here, uh, Brooke, Evan's anger coming out. She hits the steering wheel. Why is this happening again? Why can't this disease leave her alone? And I thought that was a really, I want to talk about that line, but Evan gets into her car and has this sort of like screaming, yelling moment. And then goes back into the house yeah, and sits down with her. And that's kind of how it ends. Yeah. A connection mm-hmm. at the end. Wow. The the line about why won't this disease leave her alone, I think is a really unique perspective that I don't know would necessarily occur to anyone other than someone in Evan's position here, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, as anyone can attest that I'm sure has been in this um, kind of situation. Um, the, the, the disease can be addicting. And once you have gotten help or, um, recovered, you feel as though you have, you know, you've broken up with this thing that they, it will go away. But as you grow older and (laughs) live life, um, it becomes very aware that it's a part of you that that doesn't ever go away. Mm-hmm. And that can mean many things, whether it's with, whether it's a relapse or whether it's something like this, where it just feels like it follows you through other people's experiences. It, it does. It feels like it's kind of haunting you when you've done so much work to really let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that moment for Evan, you know, why can't this disease leave her alone? It's a, it's a different part of the disease. It's not necessarily I'm trapped in this. I can't escape you. It's more so, oh, other people are going through this. How, how can I make this less painful for them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How can me showing up and just sitting next to this teenage girl maybe make her feel a little less alone in this world? Right. And potentially Evan offering something to Allie that maybe Evan didn't have when she was going through all this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Because I think you get that sense from the flashbacks that there's not really someone there with her. Right. Well, there's That it was very lonely. Yeah. So isolated. 
Yeah. This is not like an approvable addiction at all. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a whole culture is built around heroin and certain drugs. There's a lot of stuff that is also not great addictions, obviously. Mm-hmm. But this is one that a lot of times happens in secret and is very, very isolating, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, even even when you do have people around you, you know, just to make it very clear to distinct between, you know, the distinction between myself and Evan, I hadn't. A, a huge support system and my family was very active in my recovery and mm-hmm. and I'm incredibly grateful for that but that doesn't mean that the disease the disease still made me want to feel completely alone right you know it, it convinces you that they don't understand yeah which we kind of get in that dialogue from Allie right mm-hmm. like oh you get it you get it you get exactly where I'm at right, right. Yeah, satire. Uh, because you don't want to believe that someone could actually understand what you're going through. Right. Well, and that's also, I think, magnified by Allie being a teenager where you're, everything is so sort of new. And I, I know, speaking personally, like any time when I was growing up, if I had like a parent try to let me know that they understood, like, you know, I know what it was like to be a kid. I was a teenager once, too. And I, for my reaction was always just like, yeah, but you don't know what this is like right now. There's such a feeling of like, I'm going through this and nobody else really gets what I'm dealing with right now, whether or not you're talking now about, you know, an eating disorder on top of it. Yes, absolutely. Because I think in that adolescent phase, we're also trying to find our independence, yep. right? Which means, like, don't try to own my experience. Right. This is my experience. But then, you know, the older we get, we think back and we're like, oh, yeah, mom and dad were right about mm-hmm. that. <laughs> That's my world, looking yep. back right. on things I've done and being like, okay, well, I guess my parents are right about nearly everything. Yeah, here. I was going to say, you're about to see yeah. this all playing out in front of your own two I eyes know. here in the next it's, few years. It's terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. There's, there's a very, there's a beautiful... Uh, paragraph we have here and the Evans world becomes silent she tries to say something but cannot speak she slowly backs away from the bathroom and goes downstairs every part of her body is shaking her feet wander lost down each step of the staircase her eyes are glazing over as her mind becomes lost in the past and it doesn't say this in the script but this is a relapse moment for her that by seeing Uh Allie involved in this it's completely kicking her into some of her own insecurities and so we have here two people in the midst of different um, times in their eating disorders. And, and you know, that, of course, as we've discussed, positions Evan to be able to be helpful. Evan, of course, has worked through it a bit. She When she gets into her car, she has um, emotional outbursts. She has a moment of breathing in, breathing out, and then she's able to make a choice about where she is. Whereas Allie is not making choices any longer. She is really being dictated by just kind of the impulses that are coming along with this. But I think it's, I wanted to know what it was like for you to write this relapse moment into the script for the character that you were playing, actually. <laughs> yeah. And as someone that has personally gone through that relapse moment, Ooh. right? Yeah. Um, many times, many, many times. I mean, yeah. Uh, it's interesting trying to portray feelings that in real life, you're trying to hide. Yeah. So how do I get the audience to really understand what this feels like to go on this roller coaster again in your mind? But like, but I can't show, but Evan can't show Allie that. (laughs) So it was like this, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It was just this, um, this moment of, 
of just just succumb, just like just totally surrender to this the circumstances in the story. And like I said, I had I had this crew of women that were just extraordinary. Um, some of them having gone through this, some of having seen other women or men in their lives go through a similar circumstance. So we, there was an element of, I wouldn't say improv, um, like I'm going to try this different dialogue, but improv in the emotions, like having a very clear, um, vision with my DP, like, okay, we're just going to go down this staircase. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but like, let's try to stay in this kind of frame, but just follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, and having that confidence and um, ability to have the freedom in the storytelling is is key sometimes, I think, because sometimes I think we can feel um, strangled by a, strip, a script, perhaps. Like, I can't I can't mold within these words or I can't leave what what is here on the page. But I think sometimes it's freeing to just just honor the given circumstances and say, okay, we know exactly what the script says. We know what we want, but let's also free ourselves to to explore as creatives and see what can happen, um, which we got to do in those flashback scenes, which I truly appreciated since they were so, you know, some of them were quite graphic. Mm-hmm. And it's, But also as the writer, let me ask you, as the writer of this and also as someone who has a very personal connection to, to, to the main themes in this script, how, how do you balance a, a dramatic moment that, you know, would be, quote, good for the movie with the honest elements of what you know the actual circumstances of this given thing to be? Is there, is there do you have to walk a line and make a decision to go one route or the other sometimes? Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, honoring the circuit. Yeah. Honoring the script and the given circumstances, but then, so maybe, so maybe we would do a couple takes of that, right. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, we have, okay, we have, we're, we're serving the script. We're serving what is exactly on the page and we're going for it. And then like, I have, let's say we have a third take and I'm like, okay, let's play in this. And I say, you know what I mean by play, like, sure. I'm not saying we're going to have fun, but right. like, let's, let's let, let's roll a little longer. Let me kind of get into this headspace a little a deeper and darker. And because I was directing it, I had a dear friend on set as well, Kate Morgan Chadwick, who has since become my writing partner. Um, she is a, an incredible actress and, and acting coach. And I, and I had to have her kind of poke me in some of those moments, go deeper, keep going. I know it's painful. I'm right here. You know, that kind of stuff. Just yeah. to know that, oh, me acting as Evan is not going to – I think that was a fear that I had, you guys, of like if I am exploring these thoughts and yeah. emotions that I have shut off as Evan, is Brooke going to relapse? Yes. Yeah, that's – I was scared. That's fucking that's terrifying. That's what I was scared about. Yeah. Yeah. God. Like the actual physical – like I am physically going to do this – with food or with a toilet or with my hand, like actions that I had not taken in years. I was terrified. Did you relapse at all? Did you have any moments? No. And what was so beautiful about the end of that shoot, it was like a hundred pounds of bricks were lifted off. Yes. To be able to get through it and say, Hey, guess what? I'm fine. I'm fine. I did this. Yeah. Yeah, this is a part of who I am. This is a part of my story. This does not define who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. really, really um, struck by the title. Yours are mine. Um, it's never <laughs> yeah. specifically spoken of yeah. within the script. 
It's very metaphorical in some ways. And I want to know what your take is on the title here. Yeah, it took me a while to get to. I actually, even on shooting day, I didn't have a title yet. It was when I was designing the poster <laughs> and we were in post and I'm like, oh, I guess this is real now. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I and I, ha- I got different feedback, and some people didn't like it, but it was ultimately what it, it exactly what it was supposed to be. So I didn't want I didn't want to hit it on the nose with the title. I didn't want to give away anything about it. I just wanted it to, yes, I guess metaphorically be yours or mine. Your pain is my pain. Your story is my story. Yeah. We are in this together. Without without just hammering it on the head and saying yeah. something like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love so, it. So um, thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I, it has, I mean, d- different people have different questions about it and what it means, and it might not be <laughs> completely grammatically correct, but in my mind it was exactly what I wanted the story to, to feel like right. and to encompass, so – yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a way to to give the audience the, it, it, you're communicating to the audience. This is where we're going to end up, and but you do it without giving away anything as to and and they don't they don't even understand this is this is where they're being taken. It's just that is where they end up is the under this understanding of oh yours or mine, but you don't give anything away by doing that. I think it's great. Yeah, thank you so much. I think sometimes that's hard, especially in short films. But. Yeah, <laughs> completely agree. Um, thank you. <laughs> you know, Brooke, <laughs> the other thing that I really want to ask about this is that. This topic is obviously important to you. The story that you've shared, not only the one you have written, but your own personal one, is very, very important. And you are continuing to talk about this tale, this topic, these perspectives. And so I'm just curious if through the whole process of this, there is a certain or specific message that you want to share with people who may be going through their own eating disorders as well. Um. Yeah, I mean, several, but I think at the end of the day, um, I think especially when you are a teenager or growing into who you are, um, the sense, a sense of vulnerability is not always celebrated. Uh, try to fit in with other people, be cool, um, be like everyone else. <laughs> um, but I think being really open and honest about where you are and who you are, the good and the bad is incredibly powerful. And I'm seeing a lot more of teenagers being like really open and honest with where they're at. I think social media might come into play with that. I mean, there are two sides to that coin. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But, um, I just want to encourage kids, adults, anyone to just be really honest about themse- themselves and their journey because you never know, you really never know who could need to hear those words from you. Who needs to hear that someone else might be going through what they are. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of hiding. There's a lot of hiding in our society. And I just, I really encourage it, it, in anywhere, anywhere you are, it doesn't necessarily have to be eating disorders, but any kind of pain you're going through Again, like we talked about, it can feel so isolating and maybe just reaching out to one person to express what you're going through. Who knows? What if they're going through the same thing? Right. Um, so that's what I'm really trying to encourage is just an openness and embracing vulnerability and and pain because it's part of the human experience and we don't always like to talk about those things. I feel maybe a little bit obligated because we are talking about such a you know an intense 
uh, sort of topic. There are a couple phone numbers if you're listening out there that if you if this has struck a chord with you and you're maybe exploring, maybe wanting to get some help. There's the National Eating Disorders Association helpline that is 800-931-2237. There's also Hopeline Network. Uh, that's sort of more for anyone in a crisis, 800-442-4673. If, if those are helpful at all, uh, I, I hope they are. I can attest to both of those organizations, and I'm, thank you for saying that. Thank you. Sure. And Brooke, if somebody wants to get in touch with you about your journey, your story, your filmmaking, yeah, your this performance film. work, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? Oh, yes, and please do. I, I really... Uh, I don't know. I just love talking to people about these, the arts and the collaboration of everything. So um, you can reach out to me on Instagram. I'm very active there at Brooke Tranter or any of the social media platforms. And then um, there's a forum on my website um, where you can write me with, with anything you'd like to talk about and I'll get back to you. And is your website at, is it brooktranter.com? Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Keeping it simple. <laughs> Perfect. That's great. Yeah. Brooke, Brooke, thank you very much. Thanks for everything. Thank you for being so open and, and, and creating this work and then producing this work and acting in this work and then sending it into us and then coming on the show to talk about it with us. That's that that's a lot. And we, we really appreciate it. Well, it's been an absolute honor to have this conversation and and I really thank you. Um for a uh, celebrating film that isn't always, you know, <laughs> easy to handle. Straightforward. But that, yeah, but yeah. that tells stories that I think need to be told. And and I am truly honored and grateful for you guys. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Brooke. Okay, well, that's Brooke Tranter. Ah, oh, beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, and just the idea of having somebody to help. Like that, you know, it's just knowing that you don't have to go through something alone, I think, is such a... Uh, that can be such a game changer for a person who feels stuck in something. Yeah. You know, if you feel like you have no lifelines, you're not going to ask for any. You're not going to look for any. But if you have one, it might be just enough to pull you through to the other side. Yeah. You know, the uh, the lady and I have been watching the West Wing. She's never seen it before. And so I, and I'm rewatching it. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a lot of fun. Um, but there was a part we just did the the Christmas episode in season two where Josh is recovering from the fact that he was shot in the season finale and he's going through some some post-traumatic stress and he's seeing this therapist about it in order to still keep functioning and there's there's a little scene at the end where leo mcgarry the white house chief of staff comes to him and talks about it's sort of the setup for a joke and it's not terribly funny but it, it struck a chord with me when we were talking to brooke and the idea of getting help from people and leo talks about this guy's walking down a street and he falls into a hole and and the walls are so steep and he can't get out and he's stuck in this hole and a doctor passes by and the guy says, hey, can, can you help me out? And the doctor writes a prescription and throws it down the hole and, and moves on his way. Ugh. And a priest comes by and the guy shouts up, hey, father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me? And the father writes down a prayer and tosses it down the hole and then moves on his way. And then a friend walks by and the guy in the hole says, hey, Joe, it, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole <laughs> and the guy says, what are you, stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Aww. And it's just that that little speech in that episode of that show when Brooke was talking, it, it struck me and I wanted to throw that in here That's at the end great. of the episode. That's great. All right, listeners, if you're online, check us out, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Scriptshopshow.com. At, uh, on Twitter, Allison is at Your Bestie Westie. And Jack is at Scriptshop Jack. That's easy enough. We love talking with you. We love <laughs> when you talk to our writers. So get online. Let's chat. And um, we can't wait to see you again here next week. So yes. until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West.
Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.